Alright, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Surprise! <laughs> Exodus chapter 12. If you would turn in your Bibles there this morning. Exodus chapter 12. Well, everybody ready for Thanksgiving? <laughs> it's kind of like, what? What, what? This is November? It is definitely here again. Exodus chapter 12. By the way, it's interesting how things fall. I, I, I love little serendipitous moments as we study through the Word. But Exodus chapter 12 tells an amazing story of a different feast. And we celebrate Thanksgiving feast once a year and we think about all the stuff that we gorge our faces with and our stomachs with. And as Frank said, afterwards we all, well, we don't feel great about it. But this is a feast to feel good about. Exodus chapter 12 is the amazing story of the Passover. That historic night when God passed over the doors of the Israelites while destroying the firstborn of Egypt in the tenth plague. One of probably three nights that I can think of off the top of my head that are the most historic, the most important nights in the history of the world. The Passover. The night of the birth of Jesus. And the night leading into the day of the crucifixion. Three nights to be aware of. Three nights to understand and to know. And what's amazing to me is how few of us truly do understand the Passover. Oh, we've, we've heard of the Passover. We know it's that Jewish thing that they do. We know it has some connection to communion that we take each week, each Sunday. But what truly is the impact of the Passover? Not only was the Passover an event, but the Passover was a feast that continued to be celebrated for 3,500 years among the Jewish people, even up to this present day. In fact, as we mentioned Wednesday night, many rabbis in the present day believe it was the Passover and the Sabbath, those two feasts in Israel, that maintained the identity of Israel even through 1,800 years of dispersion. Even when they had no homeland, when they weren't a people aside from name, they still had the Passover. And the annual keeping of that feast, as I said, many rabbis believe, locked them in. The Sabbath, on a weekly basis, reminded them over and over and over. I was thinking this morning while Frank was leading us in some communion thinking and and thoughts, how many times I've taken communion in my life. For 40 years, from from the smallest little child, not understanding what this was going by, and can I have some snack too, Mom, to the adult, to to the teenager who was sitting there going... And I'm not sure I get this. I'm not sure what this is really about. Why do we do it every week? It's beginning to become rote to, again, the adult where it started to really hit me what was going on. There is not a Sunday when, for me at least, communion is ordinary. Because it is the reason we're here. To remind us of Jesus. In the same way that the Sabbath weekly reminded the Jews. In the same way that the Passover yearly reminded the Jews that they were a people. Now again, most of us know something of the Passover, but many don't realize the depth of its significance. Not just for Jewish people, but also for those who have been brought into God's family, that is, Christians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said, Remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near. And we didn't earn it, and we didn't deserve it, and we were not born into it. 
But by the blood of Jesus we have been drawn near. Now, as far as blood goes, for the Israelite it meant something else. On that last night of their bondage in Egypt, if they didn't want death to cross their door, they had to take lamb's blood, dip hyssop in it, and and wipe it on the doorpost and on the lintel. And in so doing, God said, when I see that blood, I will pass over your house. Huge significance, for it was on that night that a people in bondage became free because, you see, blood frees us. Exodus chapter 12 verse 13 tells us the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Skip down to verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door." And will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. Skip to verse 42. It is a night to be observed for the Lord. For having brought them out of the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord to be observed for all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. But every man's slave purchased without money. After you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. And you are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. And all the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. Let's pray before we get back and study this. Father, the significance of Passover is overwhelming, amazing, stunning. And as we gather together this morning around your word, Father, to to feast on it, to understand it, to take it in, and to try to digest these things, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to do so with understanding and clarity. Help us to see the magnificence of your plan. Unfold it before us, Lord. You, You promised us that in Jesus a veil is lifted, that we no longer are blinded as we would be without Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak directly to our hearts. Enlighten us. Open our eyes and bless us in the reading and study of the scriptures this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are all kinds of interesting traditions, aren't there, that we keep in our families for seasons like Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is the season of tradition where we keep all kinds of bizarre things. I mean, several of you do different things that, you know, when I hear of the different things people do, it's, it's odd. There are some people who keep a pickle. On a Christmas tree. Have you heard of that? You put a pickle on a Christmas tree and the person who finds the pickle gets an extra present or something like that. It's a little weird. What a pickle has to do with a present, I don't know. But there's another little tradition that we keep, many of us, and you probably are quite familiar with it. It's the tradition of the wishbone. How many people break that wishbone or pull it out and snap it? And of course the person with the bigger piece, you walk away going, yeah. (laughs) And the person with the little piece goes, I'm such a loser. (laughs) This never works for me. I always get the little piece. He gets all the luck. 
Let me tell you where this came from. This week I was just thinking about the wishbone. I have weird thoughts. And I was thinking about, where does this come from? Why do we celebrate this? 2,500 years ago, there was a people named or called the Etruscans. The Etruscans predated the Romans. And that's where the wishbone began. So you see, the Etruscans, being an intelligent people, believed that hens and roosters were fortune tellers. They did. The reason is because the hen would squawk right before it laid an egg. And they're like, how did the hen know it was going to lay an egg? I'm telling the truth here. I do not lie. And the rooster, of course, would crow before morning. And they'd they'd say, how did he know the sun was going to come up? Fortune tellers. And so when a chicken died, the Etruscan piece considered the collarbone to be sacred. They would remove it from the chicken, place it in the sun to dry, and then put it in the temple. And the Etruscan people could go to the temple, they could rub that chicken collarbone and feel like they were favored. Feel like they were getting some good luck. Now Rome then followed the Etruscan tradition. I hope I'm not ruining this for you guys. You're going, I'm not going to break that now. (laughs) It's a pagan thing. So much of what we do is pagan. Let's just get over it. Um, (laughs) But they took to breaking the wishbone in half in Rome. You know why they broke it in half? Because for the Roman, they thought, hey, that's more wishes. (laughs) It's twice the amount of wishes. We can break them in half. And you rub that part over this and everybody, you know, is blessed. And it's even believed that our phrase is, I need a lucky break. And give me a break come from being the loser of the wishbone breaking process. Well, the English people later co-opted this from the Romans. They kind of carried this over into Britain, and they would call it, uh, I think it was the Merry Wishes or something. You know how the English like to use the word Merry, you know. And so they used that, and then when the pilgrims finally came and landed on Plymouth Rock, they brought the tradition with them. Now, the difference was, when they got to Plymouth Rock in the northeast of the United States, which was not the United States at the time, there were so many turkeys that they thought, hey, turkey bone. So they broke the wishbone of the turkey, calling it the wishbone, and there you go. Wow. And that's why we celebrate the wishbone to this day. You could say the whole thing is a foul tradition. That's what you get for having a pastor who's winging it up here. (laughs) Should I go for one more feather in my cap? Okay. (laughs) Isn't it ridiculous what we do? Think about this, folks. How silly are we? That we grab that little piece of bone and pop it in half and actually think the person with the bigger half is getting a break, a lucky break. And we walk around going, all right, something good's going to happen to me. It's just ridiculous. It's like rabbit's feet. The tragedy of it all is the way that we carry these traditions over into our Christian faith. When we begin to look at Jesus as a rabbit's foot. Well, I go to church and I just just rub a little Jesus. That's what I do. I have communion and I just rub that little wishbone and I go off feeling a little bit better, a little bit closer. I got my grace points for the week. And God says, man, you're missing the vast greatness of this plan. Missing the fact that it's not about wishes. It's not about lucky breaks. It's about salvation. It's about eternity. It's about being loved in a way that no one in this world could possibly love you. Which is a a word I love to hear. God loves us that much. Psalm 100 tells us, know that the Lord himself is God. 
It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We're the people of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. So if you're blessed, it is not because of a wishbone. It's not because of a rabbit's foot. You're blessed because the Lord chooses to bless you. As we approach Thanksgiving this week, maybe that's something for us to keep in mind. I am blessed because God looked down on my life and decided to let the sun rise on me. He loved me that much. Now that being said, there's another tradition. Commemorated at the Passover feast, which speaks of divine blessing. In fact, today the Jews will even follow this tradition at the Passover meal. They don't sacrifice a lamb anymore. They can't. Ever since the temple was destroyed in AD 70, that practice was put on hold. So what do they do? They take a roasted shank bone of a lamb. And it is always present on the table at Passover to remind them of the Passover sacrifice and a bone which was not to be broken. Look at verse 46 of chapter 12 again. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Not a bone shall be broken, God declared. And I look at that and think, well, that's an interesting uh, requirement there. A strange instruction, but it's clearly important to the Lord because if you follow up in Numbers chapter 9, verse 12, it says, They shall leave none of it till morning, nor break a bone of it. God repeats it a second time. Don't miss this, Jewish people. As you celebrate Passover, do not break a bone of the lamb. Don't you do it. Why? What's the big deal? What's the deal with the lamb's bone? We're going to bone up on the Passover a little bit this morning. First of all, we need to understand that the Passover lamb speaks of none other than our Lord Jesus. And when you read a Passover and study Passover, the parallels are amazing and very, very clear. We're going to be looking at these parallels over the next couple of weeks. Of how Jesus is our Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb speaks of him. The entire Passover typifies the one true lamb who was sacrificed for us. And that's Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul refers to Christ our Passover. And if it wasn't clear enough to us, Paul puts it in very clear words. Christ is our Passover. Now in the Bible, the idea of a sacrificial lamb unfolds progressively. It's very interesting to follow this line of reasoning. It's an interesting study. Let me just give you some verses. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, we see the first lamb sacrificed. Abel comes before the Lord. Cain and Abel bring their offerings. Well, Abel brings the first of his flock, a lamb, and the fat portions of that lamb, and sacrifices it to the Lord as an act of worship. And we see, first of all, a lamb sacrificed for a man. A lamb sacrificed for a man, but it progresses. Genesis 12 or Exodus 12:3, we now see a lamb sacrificed for a family. Again, verse 3 says, "Take a lamb for yourselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household." No longer is it a sacrifice for a man. Now it progresses. It's a sacrifice, a lamb for a family. Exodus 29 verses 38 through 42. Describe a lamb sacrificed for a nation. As this idea of sacrifice progresses for a man, for a family, for a nation. And finally, in John chapter 1, verse 29, what is it that John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus coming at him for the first time? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. A Lamb sacrificed for the world. Jesus, 
Jesus, who is the Lamb that all other lambs in Scripture speak of or direct us to, He died as our Passover. Interestingly, on the 14th of Nisan, Jesus was crucified. The very night the Passover lamb was annually sacrificed. Knowing these things, I want you to understand this one aspect this morning of the Passover, this this idea of the bone which is not to be broken. Three things to consider this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. I'll go ahead and give them to you and then we'll go back and look at them. First of all, this unbroken bone is a prophecy of the perfect lamb. A prophecy of the perfect lamb. Secondly, it's a testimony to the good shepherd. A testimony to the good shepherd. And finally, it's a symbol of liberty for the saved sheep. Liberty for the saved sheep. So the first one, a prophecy of the perfect lamb. Would you flip in your Bibles with me over to John chapter 19. John 19 in the New Testament. Just keep heading to the right until you hit it. John 19, and we'll begin reading here in verse 30, as we begin to understand this idea of the unbroken bone of Passover and how it speaks of the prophecy of the perfect Lamb. John 19, verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. Teleos, which means complete, done. I have fulfilled what I came to fulfill. And it tells us he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now get into the picture here, folks. Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross for six hours. And at the end of six hours, six hours of agony and pain and some amazing words from our Lord, he finally, with his last breath, says, Teleos! It is finished! And he bows his head and he dies. Well, verse 31 tells us, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with them. Keep in mind, the idea of Roman crucifixion here was not about a quick execution. It wasn't like the electric chair or even hanging. It wasn't, this person deserves to die, so we're going to put them out of their misery fast. It was designed to be painful for an extended period of time. 36 hours, 48 hours sometimes, three to four days, a person would hang on a cross. Going back and forth between asphyxiation and excruciating pain, as Russ told us several months ago, the word excruciating was a word designed because of the cross. That's where it came from. There was no other word to describe how awful, how painful this was. As a person would hang on a cross and hang down like this, their, their muscles in their chest, the pectoralis major would begin to spasm to where it would constrict and they, and they couldn't breathe. Literally, the breath would leave them and they would begin to asphyxiate. They would begin to die. And in that last minute, almost involuntarily, they would push up so that they could breathe again. And in so doing, they would drive the nail through the foot deeper in. Because all the weight of their body now had to rest on that one single nail that went through their feet. And in that excruciating pain, they could for a a few moments get a brief brief respite of not being able to breathe. They could breathe in deep, fill their lungs up again, but then they would have to eventually sink down just because of the pain in their feet. And as they sunk back down, breathing would become very difficult again. And this would go on for three to four days. Roman crucifixion was horrible. It was bloody. It was brutal. Jesus' death, however, was unusual. 
because he was in and out in six hours. He died quickly. This was not typical for someone who was on the cross. Even in the kind of condition Jesus was by the time he got to the cross, badly beaten, scourged, whipped and and thoroughly beat up, he still shouldn't have died in six hours. One thing that John makes very clear as you read through his gospel is as Jesus was dying, he was in complete and total control. He chose the moment of his death. He said, it is finished, it is complete, teleos, undone. And he chose at that moment to die because he had fulfilled what he came to do. Unusual, the soldiers came, verse 33, coming to Jesus. And when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They didn't need to. You see, they broke the legs of the other two guys because they were still hanging there alive. And so to make someone die more quickly, break their legs, and then they can't push up anymore, and they would just suffocate and die. But Jesus was already dead. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, signifying that he was dead. And John writes, He who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe verse 36 for these things came to pass to fulfill scripture quote not a bone of him shall be broken and again another scripture says they shall look on him who they pierced it's a prophecy of the perfect lamb God knew 3500 years ago He knew with with Jesus that he would die and there would not be a leg broken of his perfect son. And so with the Passover lamb he said, don't break a bone of the lamb because the lamb is a picture of Jesus. And something even that specific God wanted us to know how far ahead he was planning for our salvation. How long ago he was thinking of you and of me in this process. Now, in case you're wondering, you may be thinking, as, as some may be cynical, I tend to be a little bit cynical. I read John say, it came to pass to fulfill Scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And I think, well, okay, is that just because they didn't break the bone in the Passover? Or is there actually a prophecy that says this? Good news, there is. Psalm 34, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. So the plan ahead... Don't break the bone of the Passover lamb because it speaks of Jesus. It's a prophecy of the perfect lamb. Now, secondly, it's also a testimony. A testimony to the good shepherd. Again, in John 19, verse 32, we learn that they came and they broke the legs of the soldiers, or the thieves, sorry. And even the thief who Jesus promised to save had his legs broken. Even that man who received salvation because he believed in Jesus, even he had his legs broken, but they did not break the legs of the Lord. It's not just a prophecy, it's also a testimony to the Good Shepherd. They didn't break his legs because Jesus was already dead. Teleos. It is finished. But there's more here than meets the eye. Because the righteous one, the perfect lamb, doesn't need to have his legs broken. It's the unrighteous, wandering lamb that needs to have his legs broken. What do you mean? Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this. I heard it recently, and it's amazing to me, that a shepherd will, in some instances, actually take hold of the back leg of a little lamb and snap it. Why would a shepherd do that? Especially a shepherd who cared about his sheep. Because that's what you do when a little lamb continues to wander off into danger time and time again. A shepherd will take a lamb, snap its little leg, and then pull the lamb up and put it over his shoulders 
And the lamb will stay there wherever the shepherd leaves the sheep until that lamb's leg heals up. But by the time it heals and he has strength in his legs and can walk again, now he's bonded to the shepherd. So as the shepherd sets the lamb down, the lamb will no longer wander off into danger but stay very close to the shepherd for the rest of his life. And David understood this. We talked about King David a couple weeks ago. Something else is just amazing. As you look at, at the, the fall of David and his relationship with Bathsheba, as David is crying out for mercy in Psalm 51 verse 8, he says these words, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Spoken like a true shepherd. David was in pain over his sin. And there was even greater pain. He felt as if his bones had been broken because he had been a wandering lamb. David understood that by breaking his bones, by taking him into this place of sorrow, he lost that baby, by the way, that he and Bathsheba had conceived. The child was, was born dead. And David, in his sorrow, realized that that was the breaking of a bone, that he would not wander or stray from the Lord again. Straying sheep are often given broken bones. But Jesus never strayed from the Father. He didn't need His bones to be broken. He was right there with the Father. John 14.10 tells us, The words I say to you, He said, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. John 10.14, He said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you ever feel like, or do you feel maybe right now, like your leg has been broken? Now, I don't know. I don't have the wisdom or the insight to know where every single person here is in your life. I don't know what struggles you're dealing with, what sin is tempting you or drawing you. I don't know what your failures have been. But understand something. You may right now be experiencing pain over a decision you've made or a heartache or trouble in your life. And it may very well be that God has broken your leg. God inflict pain? Absolutely. If that pain will draw you up to His shoulder so that He can carry you. If that pain will bond you closer to Him so that once you are healed, you will never stray from Him again. Amen. The unbroken bone of this Passover lamb and of Jesus, it speaks of this perfect, wonderful, good shepherd. It's a testimony to Him. And like David, may we say, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. The Passover bone. It's a prophecy of the perfect lamb. It's a testimony to the good shepherd. But number three and best of all, it is a symbol of liberty for the saved sheep. And you might say, okay, Rick, what does the unbroken bone have to do with liberty? Romans chapter 5 verse 20. Paul wrote that the law came in so that the trespass or the transgression or the sin would increase. Now understand this. It's so important in in theology and in understanding the Bible. God brought the Ten Commandments. Brought all the commandments of Israel so that sin would intensify. Not so that sin would go away. I've said this before. It's, It's a big flashlight. A huge spotlight that God, the law is a spotlight on the sin in our lives. Because as we try to keep the law, as we try to abide by those things and find that we can't do it, We realize our sin. Sin becomes magnified. And that's what Paul says, that sin increases. Now understand this though, before God gave the law, 
before the law came into place, he gave the Passover lamb. The Passover, this idea of grace and salvation precedes the law. Came before the law. The perfect picture of Jesus Christ and the blood that He would pour out to save. And Paul goes on in Romans 5.20, he says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Understand, this is amazing. Where there's sin, there's grace. Where there's more sin, there's more grace. Where sin continues to increase, grace continues to increase. You can't out-sin grace. Wait a minute. <laughs> not sure I like the sound of that because it sounds like I can go out there and I can do all the sinning I want and grace will just keep increasing. You're right, you can. Snap. <laughs> you can sin all you want, Pop. You can say, Lord, I want to do it my way, crack. <laughs> and grace will increase because that's the amazing thing about grace. You cannot... You cannot out-sin it. I don't know why you would want to try. You know, our motivation for following Jesus is not that we can stand up and be counted as worthy. My motivation for following Jesus is that His love blows my sin out of the water. That His grace is so huge. Why would I want to go back to old ways? Why would I want to continue doing these things that hurt Him, upset Him, turn me against Him, when I understand the vastness of His grace? Should I sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, are you kidding? It's a paraphrase. He says, by no means. By no means. You obviously, if you want to keep sinning so you can get more grace, do not understand grace. Jesus went into the house of Simon the Pharisee. And as he sat down at the meal, the Pharisee had an agenda, as a lot of times religious folks do. We can admit it. And as Jesus sat there with Simon the Pharisee in his house, a sinful woman came in the door. We don't know why she was sinful. What we do know is Simon was the one who recognized that she was sinful. How he knew, we don't know. But as she came in, she was weeping. She fell at Jesus' feet. Her tears began to pour all over his dirty feet. Because you see, Simon hadn't provided washing for Jesus when he came into his house, as was customary to do to someone you respected. So Jesus sat down, his feet dirty, here comes the woman, she's weeping over his feet, and the, and the mud is washing off of his feet as the tears pour out, and she takes her hair and begins to wash and wipe his feet with her hair. And Simon looks at her and goes, this is, this is exactly the kind of person I thought he was. Doesn't he understand she's a sinner? And he's kind of speaking under his breath to some other guys and Jesus looks over <laughs> and calls him on it. And I love when Jesus does that. Simon, how do you know she's a sinner? No, he didn't say that. But he brought Simon to the forefront and said, listen, I need you to understand something. Her sins are great. And because her sins are great, as she is understanding forgiveness, her love is even greater. Amen. Jesus said in Luke 7.47 For this reason I say to you Her sins which are many have been forgiven For she loved much But he who is forgiven little Loves little And when we don't recognize the depth of our sin We think I can wander off I'll stray But the Father loves you too much for that And often will break your leg To get you back 
Amen. The Bible tells us, Luke 7, 47, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sin? What they didn't know, what they couldn't see is that the Passover lamb was sitting right there among them. The perfect lamb, the good shepherd. Isaiah chapter 53 the story of Jesus' crucifixion prophesied far before his, his existence on, on planet earth as a human anyway. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. There is a symbol in the Passover, this unbroken bone the symbol of liberty for the saved sheep now you may still be wondering I don't understand why the bone is a symbol of liberty I understand the blood but why is the bone a symbol of liberty of freedom, of salvation this is amazing if you happen to be in in medical work you would know this physiologically blood is regenerated in the bone that's where blood comes from If you go to give blood somewhere, it doesn't just kind of miraculously regenerate within the veins. It comes out of the bone. The bone is where blood is replenished. And God says, we're not breaking any of the Passover lamb's bones. We're not going to break the bones of my son. Why is that? Because we want you to understand something here. That blood is replenished in a way that you cannot track, that you cannot possibly measure. That the unbroken bones of Jesus provide the unlimited wellspring of blood that completely forgives. John, 1 John 1.7 The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from most of our sins. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us pretty good. Now the blood of Jesus... God's Son cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. All sin. All sin. The Passover Lamb. Okay, we're going to look more at this over the next couple of weeks to understand and see Jesus more clearly. But just know this morning that the unbroken bone is incredibly significant, not just for the Jew, but for the Christian as well. And I hope that your Thanksgiving this Thursday is wonderful. I hope it's blessed. I hope the food is tasty. And I hope you're with warm and loving family and friends. But can I just put this bug in your ear? This year when you pull out that silly little wishbone and the kids go to snap it apart, would you stop for a moment? And maybe even this year, don't break it at all. Set it aside and think of the unbroken bones of Jesus who died that you and I might have life. Let's pray together. Sweet Jesus, we love you so much and yet not even nearly how much you love us. When we step back, Lord, and look at the panorama of prophecy in the scripture, it's not just amazing to us that you knew ahead of time what was going to happen. It's amazing to us that you planned out all these things so that, Lord, we would understand how much you love us. God, I I pray for the fellowship here this morning. I pray for every individual person here, whether they're here for the first time or they've been here for the last year. I pray, sweet Lord, that you will bless us with the knowledge of your grace and fill us up with the depth of your love and help us to see clearly that our sin cannot keep us from you if we will but turn to you. Oh God, lift us up. 
and place us on your shoulders, Jesus. And carry us while our legs are broken. And heal us so that we will never wander from you again.